Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at The few minutes that allotted to me, I'm going to uh, try and ask the question, how do you find God? And I think uh, that's not an easy, easy question to address. The short answer, how you find God, you don't. You don't. You don't. Why? Because we're finite beings. And how can a finite being, like, unearth and discover an infinite God? It doesn't happen. I mean, it took me 30 years to learn how to tie my shoes correctly. It's the difference between a square knot and a granny knot, or vice versa. And it's just, it's the difference of one move. You either go over or you go under. That decision right there will affect your day. Some of you, you bend down and tie your shoes too much throughout the day because you're not tying your shoes correctly. I tie my shoes once in the morning, and I untie them in the evening, and that's it. I don't double. I don't triple. It's not a quadruple knot. It's a simple, simple knot. It's called the square knot. See, the granny knot, you tie it that way, you'll know you do it because instead of your laces setting horizontal across your shoe, they go vertical and they untie. If you do it the right way, it's a square knot, they set horizontal across your shoes, like you can see on my feet today, and the tension from the knot pulls in on itself, and so it stays tied. It took me 30 years, and I had to learn that from an individual. Sat down and, as an, an adult, told me how and showed me, demonstrated numerous times, how to tie your shoes the right way. And then it took me quite a while to master the art of doing it without thinking about it. So if it took me 30 years to know how to tie my shoes appropriately, how in the world do I think I can unearth and find and discover God all by myself? The answer is I I cannot. We're, we're finite beings. Means we're we're beings that are boxed with limitations. Uh, there's capabilities that we do not have. Maybe it's on the screen. Put up this this the finite. There you go. See that that's essentially us. Now some of you look different than someone next to you, meaning you might have more capabilities, but you eventually find yourself at the end of them, and not. All of our capabilities together can create a way that we can discover and find and know God. There's no way that finite self can explore and know, hear me now, an infinite God. But the good news today is that God is so gracious and he loves us so much. He allows himself to be known by you and by me. Meaning, he makes himself to where he comes into our space and reveals his nature, his character, his love, his grace, and his mercy. And it's just not a one-time event. He does this over and over and over again. Daily, he makes himself known to you and I. He moves into our space. See, when you read through scripture, you find that it's very clear uh, that we were made to be in relationship with God, both close and on a daily basis. When you read the, the writings written to Jeremiah and to the, the nation of Israel, to their story, God speaks this. He says, then you will call upon me and you will come and pray to me. 
and I will hear you, and you will seek me, and you will find me when you seek with me with all your heart. Look what he says to Jeremiah. I will be found by you. You, God, are my God, the psalmist says, and earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. I don't know. When was the last time your whole being longed for God? It says, in a dry and a parched land where there is no water. He goes on to say, my soul, it follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. In Acts, it says, God did this. Acts verse 17, 27-28. It says, God, you did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. I just love it. Perhaps on them. Choice is theirs. Choice is yours. Choice is mine. Perhaps they'd reach out to him. And the promise was they would find him. And though he is not far from any one of us, they might just, they might just do it. In their choice, in their decision making, perhaps they're going to reach out. And when they do that, they're going to find him. Why? Because he's not far from any one of us. It says, in him we move and live and have our, our being. Hebrews eleven six and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then in Psalms 23, look what he does for you and I, something that we can't do for ourselves. It says, he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I get it. Sometimes the shadow of death actually feels like death. He says, I fear no evil. Why? For you're with me. The reason why the psalmist individual here doesn't fear evil when walking through darkness and difficulty is because the reality that God is not far off from any one of us, that he's near. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call to me. It says, call to me, and I'll answer you, and I'll show you great and mighty things. Call to me. Someone say, call to me. Yeah, God says, I'll answer you when you do this, and I'll show you great and mighty things. Today, I want to talk about living a life of faith in a world of complexity and unknowns. Father, today, I thank you for your presence in this room. Lord, we know where two or three are gathered in your name. There you are right in the midst. Grateful, even as I read in Acts chapter 17, the promise is you're not far from any one of us. Lord, I thank you for your closeness today. Lord, I thank you that you know our story in and out, that there's not a person here by accident, but we're all here. It's a divine setup. Lord, I pray that you would speak now to our heart, encourage us in our soul, revive us. And Father, I thank you that we're going to leave today overwhelmed with the goodness of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. Our starting point this morning, and not just this morning, but I think every day of our life is, is knowing this, that God is confident that when you search for him and seek him with all your heart, the promise is you're going to find him. And the reason why you're going to find him has nothing to do with you and has everything to do with him. Now, let me, let me bring this to an illustration. I've actually... I, sh- I probably should, but I've never had the opportunity. I had the opportunity. I just didn't take it because my parents always took it. The opportunity of uh, hiding Easter eggs for my kids. So my parents, they, they do it still to this day. And it's not because my kids are the age to where they're just so excited about finding candy. Candy. They understand that at Nana and Papa's house that my dad, he puts money in the Easter eggs. And so that's going to make even a grown adult want to go on this Easter egg hunt. This is the setting. 
Get the Easter eggs, stuffed candy, and certain coins and dollar bills in it. And then they go, my parents hide them in the backyard. Uh, and then you, you get it. The kids come out and find them. Could you imagine if my parents went in the backyard and started chucking these Easter eggs over the fence like 40, 50 yards into the neighbor's house? Like, like not putting them where at eye level, not under a branch or a leaf on the windowsill, but like just start chucking them outside their territory outside their yard, and then they come inside, are you ready, kids? And they're like, we're ready. They're about ready to lose their mind with anticipation of what they're going to discover and find. And then the kids come out there, and they look high and low under every branch. They're starting to dig holes. They're thinking maybe Nan and Papa buried them. They're looking uh, in the, uh, the shed. They're looking on windowsills. And they finally come to the edge of the property line and realize we've looked for a long time, and nothing is here. Could you imagine how abusive that would be for a kid? Especially if they look back and their papa's grinning at them. Like, that'll teach you. Nothing comes free, you know? Could, could you imagine? <laughs> you said they're out here. There's not to be found. In thinking about that, I realize so many of us, that's our approach with God at times. It's like we... We go out there and we think, man, uh, this is the God, I guess, that we're supposed to serve, the God who does not make himself known. God, where are you? Do I hear you? Are, are you speaking? I think I've been looking for you, but, but where are you? That, that's not the God we serve. And that's not what my parents do. My parents, they make these eggs so findable, it's, it's, it's a little obnoxious. Like, come on, give the kids some credit. Let them search a little bit. Like they're putting, they're putting like in the middle of the yard or at the base of the tree, at least put it under something. And the kids walk out there just like, this is amazing. And they bring their stash inside and say, look what we found. I'm like, you found nothing. It was right in front of you. All you had to do is walk out there and put it in the bag. It was that easy. I think this is what God does for us. He makes himself findable. He makes himself discoverable because without his grace and without his activity in doing that, we would never know or discover God. Why? Because our lives are limited. No matter the IQ, our lives come to an end to where they can reach no more. They can't fathom any other idea. They're stuck at the very end of themselves. And it's at that moment that God says, I'm going to show myself to you. I'm going to reveal myself. How does he do it? Thomas asked that question. He asked Jesus, how do I know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father, what? Except through me. See, when, when you see Jesus, you see the Father. According to John 1, it's the word made flesh. He dwelt, lived among us. And so when we look at Jesus, we, we see the Father. They're connected. They're together. They're the same. And God loves us so much, going back to our starting point, that you have to be confident in knowing this, that God wants to be known by you and vice versa. And the only way that happens is by his grace and his activity and revealing himself to you. But he does put a little effort on us as he calls to Israel and Jeremiah, as he calls to the, the prophets, as he calls to the patriarchs of old, he says, there's got to be desire to seek and to find me. You got, you got to want it with, 
with all your heart. And when you do, you, you won't be disappointed. I'll reveal myself to you. See, in, in this life, we, we have to earnestly continue uh, to seek God. I think it's important that we set our attention on, on the right things. I think it begins, this activity of following close to God begins with a willingness to look and to listen and to wait. Three things that we're not the best at. And you know you're not. And your spouse knows that you're not, more so than you. Looking, waiting, and listening. Not always the best when it comes to uh, how, we, how we interact in, in our culture in our day. We're, we're one at now people. We're immediates. We need results now. Uh, and God says, listen, if, if you want this, it, it's going to require that there's going to be a waiting process. It's going to require that you're going to have to be aware. And how you're aware is you have to look and you have to listen um, in our day and age, when there's so many options, I think it's easy to get fixated on so many different things. And sometimes we set our attention on the wrong things, and we're surprised that the results they yield aren't like a pro, uh, but more of a, it's a negative. Paul says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth, according to Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. What does this mean? This means that this is just not a one-off activity. It means that Paul says, set your your mind on things that are above, not on things that are the earth. Sometimes, depending on the given day, it requires that you do that more than just once. Right? Psalms 13, Pastor Chris spoke on this last Sunday. And how if we're not careful, we think that when we're going through the good part of the day, that we're in the perfect will of God. But then chaos comes our way, difficulty comes our way, and then we're like, God, where are you? Like, what... Have I, have I, like, uh, drifted from you? Like, are you here? And it's in those moments that you apply Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Oh, oh, not just one time. Just not at a Sunday. Just not an event. But every part of my day, throughout the course of the day, sometimes it's going to demand more of it than others. Set your attention on things above. Because how you see and the lens that you see and look through will shape your response to uh, the problems, difficulties, even the wins and victories of life. When you look through the right lens, you never own the victory. You always give to Jesus. Like you, you, don't, you don't set yourself up to kind of be in that prideful position. Why? Because you're, you're looking through the right lens. You remind yourself, oh, I'm finite. And if it wasn't for the God of creation who loves me so much, who's allowed me into his story, I, 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 wouldn't be, I wouldn't be here. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. It's all about learning to see your life and situations and struggles through the right perspective. It's through, through the word of God. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but by it I see everything else. So the lens C.S. Lewis is talking from is a lens of a biblical perspective, and it's not the world looking at the Bible. It's seeing the world and seeing all situations through the lens of Scripture. But the problem is we claim to be Christian, but we don't always live up to this. And I was recently looking at, and I'll, and I'll kind of give proof of that here in a moment. I was recently looking at, it's a study that uh, the Barnum Group did when it comes to millennials. This is your 18 to 30-something. And they, they surveyed four groups of people that have been associated with church in, in some way. And you can show it on the screen here. Just kind of give you an idea what I'm talking about. It might not be the easiest thing to see. I'll kind of walk you through it just 
very quickly. But the four groupings are at the top there. And it's, the first one is the prodigal or the ex-Christian. That's someone who once identified to be a follower of Jesus but no longer wants anything to do with it. Then you have the nomads. The nomads are the unchurched or it's the people who would consider to be believers but not belongers. So they don't want anything to do with church. And they kind of want to live their own way but still hold on to some of the truths of, of, of Scripture. Then you have the habitual churchgoers. Those are people who go to church maybe uh, once every six weeks. It varies, but at least once every six weeks. They might be part of a small group from time to time. And they might even grace your group at a prayer meeting. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that their personal discipleship walk with Jesus uh, lines up with just to their attendance. So this is a category that is more about just attendance, but there's not a lot of spiritual discipline that's taking place in the habitual churchgoer. And then you have the last category of these four groups, and it's called the resilient, the res, uh, resilient disciple. This is one who, come hell or high water, difficulties, Good seasons, bad seasons, they're pressing in and trusting Jesus, and they're trusting and valuing the Word of God, and they're serving and giving and part of uh, the community of faith. But it's just interesting when you look at some of the questions asked in these groups. One was, right now, what religious faith do you consider yourself to be? The prodigal is, uh, do, do you consider yourself to be Christian? They all across the board said the prodigal 100% strongly agree with this. Which of the following phases best fits you, and how do you describe your faith to others? A follower of Jesus, the nomad agrees 61%. The habitual churchgoer, 79%. And the, the disciple, resilient disciple, 97%. Um, I believe living in a relationship with Jesus is the only way to find fulfillment in life. 21% of the believers, but not belongers, the nomads, would agree with that. Only 49% of the habitual churchgoer would agree that a relationship with Jesus is the only way to have a fulfilled life. And then you have 89% uh, of the resilient disciple would agree with this statement. My relationship with Jesus brings me deep joy and satisfaction. Once again, nomads, 25%. You're under 50% for the habitual churchgoer. And then you're at 90% for the resilient Christian. And it goes on and on and on. My relationship with Jesus impacts the way I live every day of my life. Wow. Nomads, the believer but not the belonger says, oh, I believe that 23%. The habitual churchgoer, which, sorry people, it's going to be some of us, it's 49%. And then the resilient disciple, it's 86%. To put this in perspective, just so you know, we're at as millennials, and I'm not a millennial, but Pastor Chris and I are talking about we identify more with millennials because Gen Xers are just so annoying. <laughs> and a lot of them aren't here. They're listening to this on a podcast. Um, <laughs> but the, the prodigals are at 20%. The nomads, the believers, but not belongers, are at 30%. The habitual churchgoers, 38%, which leaves the resilient Christian or disciple, 10%. So that's just not to pick on millennials. I mean, that's, that's for every, I mean, that's, that's for all of us. Xers, boomers, zoomers, you name it. It's, it's, it's all of us. Um, but I go back to this statement with C.S. Lewis. He said, I believe Christianity is I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. I, I don't know if... That's the, that's the majority of people who identify 
with Jesus would, would make that statement. And I think there's reasons for it. I think it's been fueled by disappointment. I think a lot of those numbers in life of people has been fueled by some heartbreak and not understanding the way in which God works. There's been some hurt there. I think there's also probably a pretty heavy dose of pride of not understanding our limitations and thinking uh, that we're capable of more and we can do it by ourselves and we don't need, we just need Jesus as our pastor but nothing else. I, I, don't, I think that probably fuels it. And this is the roadblock. Because you might say, I've, I've been leaning in. I've actually ticked the homework from Psalms 13 from last week. And I went honest before God. But still, it seems like, man, my situation hasn't changed. It still seems like uh, he's not speaking to me. It still seems like the conditions are the same. I still find myself in the season of life I'm in. I'm like, God, where are you? Like, where are you? And I've had this conversation with a few people now. Had a conversation with my daughter about a year ago, Con- confused and even concerned over this. Man, am I not hearing from God? I mean, come on, this is a, at the time a little 12 year old just kind of concerned, like, am I hearing from God? I've never felt God. That's what she said. I go, have you never felt God? And I begin to think about it. I go, what? What if we don't know what it's like not to experience God? What if that's the reality? My wife messes with the thermostat in our house all the time because she's cold. But if you, you read it, and I can show you my phone where it's at because I control it, it's at, <laughs> it's at 70 degrees. That's warm. That's a strong spring day. <laughs> so is she saying that she, there's a complete absence of heat? Or is she saying she just needs to be warmer? She's saying she needs to be warmer. And I've thought about it. I, I don't know why God always gets the, the, the heart and the deal when it comes to heartbreak and despair and frustration. Like hurts and like dilemmas are a good reason not to believe in God. Come on now. How about we just recognize we live in a broken, topsy-turvy, messed-up world the bad things happen, the difficulty, the situations, they, they're unexplained, they happen. But yet, even in the midst of that, come on, can we understand that God still loves us and that God still is in control? But what we quickly do is we quickly just kind of pass that away. It's like, oh, he didn't, he didn't love me. He, I've never heard him. Have you not heard him? I bet you have. Like, how many Red Sea experiences were in the Scripture? Think about it. Like, we look, we're looking for the grandiose all the time, and I think in doing that, we miss, like, the minute ways that God ministers and works through our lives. Like, I think, just let's be humble enough to even consider this. Just maybe God works more in the subtleties of our life than we give credit for. Like the Easter eggs are at the trunk of the tree, kid. You didn't see it? Go out there again and look. I can see it from inside the kitchen. (laughs) Hear me now. Like how many Easter eggs do we pass on a given day because we're looking in the wrong spot to where we think God is? And just maybe, hear me now, just maybe, he's in the conversation with the stranger Just maybe he's in that moment of heartbreak where you have this overwhelming sense of his peace. 
Just maybe he's at places and ministering in ways that we don't fully recognize and know. I just can, I wonder why. Why would he want to know you and not interact with you on a regular basis? What if, just what if, what if the disconnect isn't with him, but it's with us? I think if we can get to that place, then I think we get to a place where we can actually start hearing God once again. I think we get to a place, I know we're not, we're not feeling only people, but we're people that we feel. I think we get to a place where we actually feel God again and sense God again and are aware of God again. Like, I think this, this week of Thanksgiving, let's not waste it. Let's be a week where we just are more tuned in to the little subtleties and the little ways God ministers and speaks and encourages and affirms us in our life. I know N.T. Wright, uh, he, I don't know him personally, so that's <laughs> the wrong pause for that. I know he can answer this question way better than me, and it was asked him of him, like, it, it seems like there's more miracles in the Bible than, than we see today. And his response was, I think part of the problem here is that when we read the Bible, we read it with long hindsight. We look and we say, oh yeah, that's, that's God rescuing his people from Egypt. Well, yes, that is dramatic, and that happened. But then in the Psalms, the poets are saying, has God forgotten us? Has he forgotten to be gracious? Has he abandoned us? It's been a long time now. God, where are you? See, the great book of Isaiah promised a great new moment when God would come in person and would become king. And yet it was 500 years before Jesus came. During those 500 years, many wise Jews pondered and prayed and struggled. Other people said, oh, it's just an old mythology. It's never going to happen. But yet still people kept praying and waiting. And finally, this explosive thing happened, which we call Jesus. See, friend, I want to encourage you that even though it doesn't seem like God is not working, doesn't mean that God is not working. And just because it doesn't happen kind of in the immediate, in the right now, doesn't mean that it's not being worked on. Just maybe, just maybe God's getting you ready in your finite state for something that you can one day and eventually handle. Not only just handle, but when the whole, whole story is, is complete. Putting parts and fractions of your life together for this complete story. See, the reality is this, that God is always working. Always working. You got re- to tell yourself this. Even in the midst of hardship and tragedy, God is always working. And more often than not, the construction, hear me now, is, is underground. Uh, my friend uh, and I, we were uh, out, we were hunting this last week, and we ran into a forester right? We uh, worked at U of I, retired. And this forester, and we were on looking at his property, and he had these trees all over, oak trees. And he told my friend to pick up some of these acorns. And he then pointed, he goes, from this tree right here, these acorns on the ground, we've gathered those over the last eight years. See all these trees behind me? It's from these acorns. I'm thinking, no way. I thought it's from Costco or Home Depot or Lowe's or the nursery down the street. Like you literally grew those from an acorn. He's like, yeah, I'm a forester. That's what we do. Like that is, you're an amazing man. 
He goes, take them. He goes, do a test, put them in water. And if they float, they're no good. If they sink, this is what you do next. And he proceeds to kind of tell the process of what this acorn does. And what he said, just it stuck with me. He said, what's going to happen is you're going to plant it in the ground. And you're going to do it this way. And then over the next while, what's going to happen? It's going to go through winter. Come on. It's going to go through some darkness. It's going to go through some adversity. It's going to go through some hardness. But then there come a time, as it's going through those seasons, you're not going to see anything above the soil. Everything is underground construction. I thought, man, I'm so glad that I serve a God of underground construction. Like a God who works in the invisible areas of my life. Because what's happening, he says, you're going to find that the root system is going to be working and growing. And then eventually when it's ready, it's going to break through the surface. And what you see on the surface is going to give a, not a clear picture of what's taking place underneath. He goes, then you have to do the next step. You have to get these wire baskets and you have to place it over this young little sapling. Why? Because the deer and other wildlife is going to want to eat what's growing. I thought, oh, my gosh, you're so prophetic. And you don't even know it. That's so Bible. Come on. What's gonna, what happens is God works in the invisible areas of your life and my life. And there's more underground construction than you or I can even fathom or realize. And then eventually, at the right time, it breaks through the soil and starts to grow something. And then it's our job to self-govern and uh, protect that which God has been growing in our life. And you got to, you got to form walls around it. You got to make sure that the, the predators aren't going to come and try and eat and destroy what God has planted and what God's growing. How do you do that? You go back to Colossians chapter 3. Every day I'm setting my attention on the things that are above, not the things that are beneath. Though, 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 though the enemy comes against me, I know this, that God is for me. I know that I couldn't find him. He found me. I, I, I understand that I didn't unearth him, but he made himself discoverable. As you remind yourself what the word says about you, what do you do? You're protecting that which is growing out of the happiness, out of the joy, but also out of the adversity and struggle and pain of your life. God works underground. And just because you don't see anything happening doesn't mean nothing is happening. On that same trip, it was a hunting trip, and we got up really early, and we heard from the locals that there was an apex predator, three, they're called a mountain lion, running around, spotted. So what do you think I'm thinking about when I'm walking in the dark? Even though I had the support of a friend next to me, he is no stronger and no better with the gun in the, in the nights than I am. It's dark. You can't see. I'm thinking, man, this... I can't see, but this, this predator can see. They're called nocturnal. I thought, man, I'm so glad that I serve a God who works in the underground. So glad that I serve a God who's nocturnal. Just because you can't see in the dark doesn't mean he can't see in the dark. Just because it's not visible to you doesn't mean it's not happening. This is the God we serve, the God who sees in the dark. Dark and lightness are the same to him, the psalmist says in Psalms 139. Where can I go from his presence? I can't escape him. If I go to the other parts of the earth, whoo, his presence is there. Found him. He found me. 
If I try and make darkness a canopy where I hide under, I quickly realize that light and darkness is the same to him. He sees through it all. Just maybe, 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 maybe. I don't know what it's like not to experience the wonderful presence of Jesus. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know what it's like to live completely void of the the still, small, sweet, poetic, and pointed uh, voice of God. It's always on target, always on, on mission. I want to encourage you today that God is working in the seeds that are being planted within your life, regardless of the situation, regardless of the story. I know it. Feel it. Live it. That God is working even through, through hardships. Some of you are going through hardships. Probably got this number from my pastor. I trust him. Probably 70% of people in this room are going through a struggle, hardship. In the midst of that, I want to encourage you that God sees right where you're at. And you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to think your way through it, trying to process your way through it. What you need is you need just to know that it's okay just to wait and rest and hold tight to the promises of God in your life, knowing that he's not a God who takes the Easter eggs outside and chucks them a mile over a fence, but he puts them in plain sight for you so that you can stumble over them and say, ha ha, wow, look what I found. Wait a minute, oh, look what he let me find. Look what he let me see. So your life only makes sense when you are in relationship with Jesus. I think what the enemy tries to do, we see it even with some of the sobering statistics of, of our millennials, is that the enemy is trying to work overtime to separate people from the source. The reason why I love this church is because it's, it wasn't something that we built. This was God's idea. The church was never man's idea. It was always God's idea. And it's through this church and churches like this, universal, ecumenical, that God reveals himself to to people who are wanting and watching and curious and hurting. Come on, it's through people like you and me that God works our stories so that we can be beacons and messengers of hope. I end with this. Paul says, not that I've already obtained all this or I'm already made perfect, but I press to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider myself that I've made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you, which is just, that's a gracious sentence. Only let us hold true to what we have attained, brothers. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom, here's the warning, I've often told you about and now tell you even with tears. You can just feel Paul's just breaking for this. They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame. With mindset on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like the glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. See, friends, what God does is, number one, 
um, the promise is that you can find God today because, number one, he allows it. Number two, he allows it because he loves you. And number three, he's never not working for your life. So in the midst of the chaos and all the unknowns, you can know this, that God allows himself to be discovered and found by you. Come on, Jeremiah. Come on, nation of Israel. Come on, New Testament church. Those who earnestly seek, those who wholeheartedly press in. Well, I've done that. Now what do you have to say? Keep doing that. I do it every day. Yeah, yeah, that's the idea. Every, every day, multiple times a day, you lean in and you just watch God take the story that he started because even to disciples, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, meaning I've been at the introduction of this world and I'm at the close of this, of this story. And he puts everything together. So for those of you today, I just, I want to leave you with this encouragement. And the encouragement is that God knows your story all so well, every detail of it. So much so that he somehow organized this message and the four songs that we sang to work together. And we didn't even talk. When I was listening to that worship set and engaging with him, like, oh my gosh, this is like uh, this outline in song. Only you, God. Like, it's, it's only you. No credit is shared. It's, it's just you. And I think when we get that place where we're like, God, I can't do it. I can't do this by myself. I, I can't do this on my own. I can't figure it out. He, he gets to the point where we're like, yeah, that's the point. Finally, you're there at the point I need you to be. You can't do it on your own, and you can't figure it out. Hello, now, this is what you're going to do. You're going to let me do what I do best, and that's be God. Be sovereign, be king, be grace, be love, be mercy, be truth in your life. I know, I know there's hard stories, and I, I want to pray for those, and we're going to go into just a, a song here in a moment just to, to end, but uh, if you, you're going through uh, just, it's not a headache, you're going through just a overwhelming, trying, draining, just traumatic time, and you agree with this word today, even though you might not feel